0: And welcome to MLS Assist, a podcast created to give insight into Major League Soccer's on-field action. I'm Joe Lowry, and I'm joined by my co-host, Jordan Angeli. Jordan, are you ready to do all of the playoff previewing today?
1: Let's get it. (laughs) I am ready.
0: Listeners, you couldn't see Jordan's face there, but she did look very prepared. I think she steeled herself to, to do this episode with me.
1: Yes, very focused.
0: So what are we doing today, <laughs> Jordan, that is going to require all of that focus?
1: Yeah, we're going to do a just a preview of every single team that is going into the playoffs that start this week, Friday, Joe. We made it to playoffs first. Can we give like a round of applause for MLS yeah. for that?
0: And, and I was going to say for us, but that's fine. And MLS, for us. Too, okay. Yeah. MLS, cool, yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
1: um, But we're going to go about... Just quick, a little note on every single team. So when we say a preview of every single team, people, we're not going to be here for four hours. We're going to try to make this quick, snappy, get a little hint about something we're going to be watching from a team and then move on to the next.
0: Yeah, that's a perfect summary. There's no need to dilly dally right now. We're going through all the teams. We're going to do it quickly, but also get into some real analysis on each team up front. Jordan, you and I talked about this a little bit before we hit the record button. This is a weird year, right? The playoffs mm. are weird this year as well because mm-hmm. there are international breaks happening right now. Sam Stageco had a really good piece for The Athletic digging into some of those teams that are going to be missing a lot of players due to World Cup qualifiers or due to international games happening right now. Then we've also got injuries. So there's just a lot of things happening all at one time, even, even with those things going on. We're going to get into these teams looking at what they will do or what we think they might do to give our listeners something to watch for. So I've talked yeah. long enough. Jordan, are you ready to do this thing?
1: I think so. I'm, I'm, I think I am.
0: Okay. You're I ready. You. So you start. Okay, I'm going to start us off. I'm, I have the Philadelphia Union. We're going to go seed by seed, Eastern Conference, then Western Conference. The Philadelphia Union are the first seed in that Eastern Conference. They'll be playing the lowest seeded play in a winner. So that's going to be one of Miami, New England, or Montreal they're going to be missing a couple of guys or at least Montero in this game. He's off on international duty, and then they're going to have to have a quarantine period when he comes back. But my thing to watch from the union is Jose Martinez clamping the base of the midfield diamond. Snap. That is my item. And Jordan, I know, I know you have some affinity for this as well because you went on Extra Time and talked about Jose Martinez as one of your absolute favorite players to watch in MLS.
1: I do. I, I, I didn't think I was going to like him at first. He's really turned me. He's converted me into a player that I've absolutely loved to watch. And I think you and I both have this little space in our heart for players who might not get be the goal scorers, but really have a key role in their teams. And I think that... Martinez was a player that Jim Curtin. If he wouldn't have gotten that piece, I don't know if Philly play the way that they play.
0: No, I don't think they do. They, the evolution of the Philadelphia Union now without Harris in at the base of that midfield, putting Jose Martinez into that number six spot, it's changed how they can play consistently. They can now press higher up the field and worry less about having to cover for that number six. Now, now Martinez can complement the two number eights, Bedoya and Montero, when those guys are both here. He can complement those players and allow them to do running as well. And it's just this, it, it turns into this really athletic, dynamic, pressing, highly mobile midfield that can suffocate teams when they're aligned properly. And I think a lot of that comes down to Jose Martinez in the back. And that's why I have him as my player to watch or my thing to watch in this game against whoever that lowest seeded play and winner is in the Eastern Conference.
1: Yeah. And when we talk about that, I think that that's a good point because we talk so much about a lot of other positions in this Philadelphia Union team. You mentioned some of those names, um, in the midfield, but the, the two attackers and the goals that they scored, the center backs we talk about, but I think. I think that that is a good thing for people to watch, not only what he does on the ball, but watch how he denies spaces for other the other team, how he can jump and press, like you were saying, and be part of that athletic midfield to go win the ball back higher on the field. Those are really good things to watch off the ball to see why Jose Martinez is such a key part in this team.
0: Okay, Jordan, on to our next team. You've got Toronto FC.
1: I do. And what's interesting about TFC is I feel like they've really been a team that grew into the season. And I think everybody is pretty OK with that, didn't have a great start at MLS's back, and then they kept getting better, which is very Toronto FC of them. right? This is a team with a lot of experience and does best when they are finding some um, real structure in the, the the team that they're putting out on the field and they can uh, establish those connections with how they're playing. Now, the interesting thing about TFC is they've lost three of the last four games, and I'm looking at those games, and my big question for this team and what I'm watching for is who do they start in the midfield? Because I think the question is, do you start Michael Bradley or do you start uh, Delgado, who he's injured, right? And this is the thing that is difficult with what we're seeing is we don't know why he's injured. It's just an undisclosed injury. Will he be good to go? And after these two weeks and enough to start a game, I don't know. But I think that the way that TFC plays best, Joe, is where, when they're in a little bit of a, sometimes it looks like a four, four, one, one, or it can really morph into a four, two, three, one, where those two holding midfielders, well, first off, there's two holding midfielders and they, can one can get forward either in Osorio or Delgado and one can hold but that it allows them to have fluidity with Plazuelo being the linking player who can come back into the midfield and connect I just think playing Michael Bradley might be a little too rigid for this TFC team
0: I don't think Michael Bradley's knees can handle a high intensity playoff game at this point and that's that's not really an indictment of him or his playing ability. That's just, I think, the reality of what we're seeing with him. Uh-huh. So you're talking about Michael Bradley might be too rigid for the system. I think his knees might be too rigid for Michael Bradley to effectively play in that system at all. But yeah, if, if Delgado's healthy, we might see him. If he's not, we might see Bradley and we might see Toronto try to adjust what they do to make sure that he doesn't get exposed and also that he has a platform to, to contribute offensively because he can still do just that.
1: Right. And I think so when I've seen them play, they play in a lot of different formations and sometimes it looks like a four three three as well, right? And um but I think with those two, when they play with the two a little bit more uh two holding midfielders or two midfielders who can hold a little bit more and um occupy that space, it allows for Pozuelo to have a little bit of a free-floating role, which to me, if you're looking at this TFC team, that's what you need the most out of anything that's happening is he needs freedom to go get the ball wherever he can get the ball.
0: Okay. Jordan, we good to move on? Okay, let's move on. Let's do it. We're going on to the Columbus crew. I'm taking the crew for this preview, which makes me feel a little bit like I'm I'm all of a sudden teaching a class that my a professor should be teaching. You know, I've gone into their <laughs> class and now I've decided that I own the material and I'm going to deliver this, this content because- All right,
1: let's see what you got. Yeah, I'm feeling some pressure from <laughs> you, Jordan. Kidding.
0: No, I'm just kidding. So we've got the Columbus crew here. They're the third seed in the Eastern Conference. They will be playing the New York Red Bulls at home in Columbus, as I'm sure, Jordan, you are fully well aware uh-huh. of. My, my thing to watch, my thing to watch for the Columbus crew is their left-sided possession. There's going mm, to be lots I'd... of it I'm anticipating, Jordan. Mm-hmm. Based off of their last game, it was on decision day against Atlanta United. And I, I'm thinking specifically about that 23-pass goal sequence. The the 23 passes that lead to the goal against Atlanta United that we talked about on our show last week. It was beautiful. The sequence was wonderful. Left-sided possession kind of keyed that sequence. It 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 was Lucas El drifting over to the left side. It was Milton Valenzuela and Pedro Santos already on that left side. Occasionally, you have Jossie Zardes drift over to that side as well and create, if not an overload, certainly an opportunity for the Columbus crew to combine. All of this is important and relevant no matter who the crew are playing, but because they are playing the New York Red Bulls, who I anticipate will sort of sit back and, and defend in a rigid block, defending a, a strong defensive block, but not extend all the way up the field all the time. I think they'll be in a mid-block a lot in this game, which gives the crew all the time that they want to possess and to drag the Red Bulls over to the crew's left side, the Red Bulls' right side, combine and penetrate down that side.
1: Yeah, I think that's a good thing to key into, because a lot of crews, really spectacular, I would say, goals have come from the left side, because they just have that creativity between Santos, Celerayan, Valenzuela. Uh, when Artur Nagby comes over to be that really the bottom of that kind of tri- uh, diamond that, ha- that happens there, those players can interchange and, in, really be in different channels and different, um, horizontal and vertical channels on the field that makes it really confusing for defenders. So I think that is a good thing for people to key into on, on that game. Did good I pa- job. Did the I professor pass? gives you an A
0: plus. Oh, that's so kind of you, Jordan. Thank you. Yeah. You, you want to, no, you earned it. It's not
1: kind. You earned it. <laughs> well, I'm
0: taking it and I'm running. Jordan, why don't you move us on to Orlando city?
1: Okay. Orlando city. Um, what I found it really interesting about them is we've talked about their attacking a lot this year, right? They score a lot of goals and, and, and that's one of the reasons that they are in the spot they're in is their goal scoring ability. But this is the first time all season they gave up three goals in their last game. Wow. Yeah. They, they haven't given up more than two goals in a game. And, um, those goals against at home, I think, We'll be, what I'm looking for is the, the reaction from that, because I feel like uh, their center backs in Antonio Carlos and Jansen have been really good together. And one of the reasons why this Orlando City team has been they've really upped their level is because there's stability between those two players. And what I'm looking for in this game, they're playing uh, New York City FC, who uh really tries to create instability within those players, right, with Maxi Morales and Castellanos and the movement that they have Medina coming inside and just shifting defensive players all over the place. I think what I'm looking for is how are those two players, the two center backs, going to respond to giving up that many goals because the organization has to come from those two. So I think it's a little difficult because we can't what I'm looking for is how they keep their line connected, their defensive line and get their outside backs who like to go forward really quickly back in a good structure when they're transitioning defensively. And can they keep their structure between uh, two center backs and the two holding midfielders in front of them? There is going to be shifting and movement, but can they make sure that they occupy that space at the top of the 18 or um, right inside the 18 in a positive manner and they aren't chasing the game?
0: Yeah, and that ties right into my my thing to watch for NYCFC because these two teams Ooh. are playing each other. New York yeah. City FC is our next team to run through here. and My thing is, is watching how Tati Castellanos and Maxi Morales work off of each other. Okay. You're talking about the need for Orlando City to have a stable defense, for the center backs to be connected, for the fullbacks to be in line with those players, for the center backs and the two midfielders in Orlando City's 4-2-3-1 that will look more like a 4-4-2 defensively, that box between those players and how, how structured that is. For NYCFC, their mission is to not let Orlando City structure those, those spaces and to not have them set up in a logical, strong manner. They want to rip that apart and play through it. And I think Tati Castellanos making those backline breaking runs that he did two weeks ago against the New York Red Bulls. He did it last week on decision day against the Chicago Fire, and he's been scoring goals. Him breaking in beyond the backline in combination with Maxi Morales dropping in as that attacking midfielder. He's finally healthy. He's back. He's playing as the 10 in a 4-2-3-1. Those two players moving in opposite directions. Castellanos up Maxi Morales down into midfield is going to make Orlando City have some pretty difficult decisions as to whether they track and drop with Castellanos. Do they step and move in with Maxi Morales? How do you balance those things? So NYCFC pulling Orlando City's backline and midfield almost in opposite directions, how well they do that is almost what I'm going to be watching for from them in this matchup with Orlando City.
1: Because when City is at their best, I feel like they're stretching, but then they're filling that pocket of space that they're just stretched. So th- that's really what we're talking about when teams manipulate numbers without the ball. Like Tati Castellanos in this instance doesn't have the ball, but he's stretching the back line to create space for someone else to occupy and then get the ball in. Um so that's, I really think that's interesting. I have a, a question. Who do you feel like is going to get fouled more, Maxi Morales <laughs> or Pereira?
0: <laughs> oh, my. I thought, yeah, that's a, that's a really tricky one. Probably Maxi Morales just because I feel like he's, he's a little bit shiftier when he's on the ball. And uh, Antonio Carlos and the rest of that defensive unit for yeah. Orlando City like to, uh, like to get a little gritty. But I don't know, Jordan.
1: He, he's also very good. Very good. At drawing fouls.
0: Very good. A little, maybe like, a little too good. <laughs>
1: Yeah, a little too good sometimes. I'm like, oh, come on. Keep playing. Um, okay. Well, you just did a really smooth transition from Orlando to NYCFC. And this isn't going to be as smooth, but I'm going to go into Red Bulls and what you just talked about with Columbus is their left side. And the thing that I noticed with the New York Red Bulls over the span since the beginning of September when they had a coaching change is they look a little bit more like the Red Bulls in press, in their pressing moments. Mm. And I I felt like there was a very no- noticeable pattern of pressing that I've seen from them lately was when they were in a mid block, they would let the opposing team pass the ball around their back line. And when it was this game against Toronto, where I noticed they went from the center back to the outside back, Um it was Gonzalez to Aro Jr. And so once that ball went from Gonzalez to the outside back, they would jump and press and try to squeeze in on one side. if the Red Bulls can execute this press precisely. I think they're going to have an opportunity to win the ball back in a good area. And I feel like one of the things that their energy defensively brings to them is also a quick transition to energy in transition moments attacking-wise. But the one thing that I think that they can't get caught in is when they then are going to attack, sometimes when they lose the ball and they're attacking third, they hunt a little too aggressively so that um, counter-pressing moment for them can stretch on for too long. If they do this, they all, the New York Red Bulls get sucked into their own attacking half. And I think that this is where they can be really susceptible is in transition moments from them having the ball in their attacking third to losing it to their counter press committing too many numbers forward, and Columbus crew has shown us they're not only the team that you just talked about with 23 passes, but they can also play two passes, which that game against Atlanta, they had two passes and Jossie Zarda scored at the other end. So the, the crew can take advantage of that high-pressing um, transitional moment deep in their own defensive third.
0: Counter-pressing has to be one of the hardest things to time in soccer. Mm. Because how... How do you decide and, and how do you communicate to your players the length of time that you do yeah. need to be aggressively pressing, but also the the cues and the moments when you need to drop back and and get into that defensive structure? it's such a fine
1: line yeah it is and and you feel it I, I had the pleasure of playing this center back role, and you can see it happening. you can see when you want your team to go, and if one pass breaks that pressure that counter pressure you have to have a leader who says regroup or some cute we we use the word regroup but it has to be a keyword where you just get numbers back behind the ball so that transition moment doesn't turn into a huge counter-attack going to the other direction
0: yeah and against the crew it's going to be especially important to have that regroup mm-hmm. mentality yes go hunt the ball win the ball back create those offensive transition moments that the red bulls want to use both out of their mid block and when they've lost the ball higher up the field but know when to know when to drop and when to find that defensive balance. Jordan, I love that. I love
2: that. Yeah. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with twenty four seven U.S. based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard it right. You can talk to a real human in customer service any time. Sounds like a real game changer, if you ask me. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is supported by FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League Two after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the city's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher league. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenge and rise again into League One? FX's Welcome to Wrexham premieres May 2nd on FX. Stream on Hulu.
0: Okay, on to... We're still not done with the Eastern Conference, everyone. There are so many teams in the playoffs this year.
2: As I've mentioned (laughs) over and over again.
0: We are on to the seventh seat in the Eastern Conference. This is my team... Not, you know, I don't have any affiliation, but the, my, the team that I'm previewing <laughs> here, Nashville SC, seventh in the Eastern Conference. They will be playing Inter-Miami in the expansion playoff matchup, super game bowl meeting of, <laughs> of the two expansion teams at the bottom of the Eastern Conference or near the bottom anyway. My thing for Nashville SC, and I've talked about this before and I likely will continue to talk about it down the line as long as Gary Smith is in charge of this team. It's their second ball structure. I love the way that Nashville will use playing direct and playing long and playing more in what we would consider old-fashioned in that sort of style. They will do it effectively. They will do it effectively by bringing players around the long ball. So let's let's say they, they have a center back, Walker Zimmerman, play it high up the field to Daniel Rios as the number nine or to Yonder Cadiz as the number nine. Nashville won't leave that player on an island. They will give him options to work with as that number nine. They will put Derek Jones up there to work off of the number nine. They will put Mukhtar in there off, uh, to work off of the number nine. They will bring one of the central midfielders forward. They give the number nine options on those long balls, that direct route one soccer. They have good second ball structure. And I think for me, that's always the main thing to watch for in attack for Nashville besides set pieces and transition moments. So if you're going to watch one thing in open play for Nashville SC, on the ball especially, I would recommend that you make it their second ball structure.
1: So, are you saying key into Jones potentially or that player? Whoever is playing right underneath their number nine.
0: Yeah, that's huge. That and and maybe the wide midfielders, or at least one of the wide midfielders coming inside to provide even an extra layer of comfort and and security for that number nine.
1: Yeah. All right. I'm going up to New England now, the Revs. I think. For them, I I had a couple of different directions I wanted to go with them, but I'm gonna stick to, I'm gonna stick to their channel play. And one of the things that I think is interesting is they have their two big DPs back, which, might change the availability of other players or if the other these other players start, but what I really have liked is Tejon Buchanan and his ability to play in the channel or in that internal channel
0: okay can i can I inter- interject here real quick? Yeah, for the longest yeah. time when I was watching soccer games, I did not know what the channel was, and I think I know what it is now, but can you can you define that quickly for us as you move forward with this preview?
1: Yeah, I would say the channel for me and what I believe it to be is the if you cut the field into long uh, vertical strips, for me, if you go from one edge of the 18 to the other edge of the 18, the space between the 18 and the edge of the field is the channel.
0: Okay, so it's those those wide-ish areas in between right. stuff.
1: In be- <laughs> the wi- wide-ish areas, um, I- exactly. And I think that the channel, you, if you create width in the channel. With player positioning, say Buchanan is in the channel. What I am interested in is when New England has been at their best, their outside backs have been contributing to the attack. So who is playing with Buchanan on whatever side because he can play on the right or he can play on the left, and how do they occupy those the channel and that internal channel to work off each other? so um it might be that say he's playing on the right side and Brandon buy is behind him. It's a combination between the two of them in the channel out wide to make a 2v1 situation in the channel to create a cross crossing situation where they have numbers in the box. Or does Buchanan come inside where we've seen this is my question, because Carlos Hill is back in this is that internal channel is really that half space inside is where heel likes to to play but if buchanan's in can he find that space too where he likes to to occupy maybe they're on opposite sides of each other just that work as a pocket winger or a stretch winger to the channel or in behind he just has a good variety in his game but to me it's the combination between him and the outside back how do they read each other how do they move off of each other and how do they occupy the space in the channel in order to free up space for one another,
0: and the New England Revolution are facing off against the Montreal Impact, who this season have played a lot in a three at the back or a five at the back shape. Mm-hmm. You're you're talking about the the winger and the fullback potentially creating a two v one against the opposition's outside defender. I think that's something that gets exposed a lot in a a back five when when the Montreal Impact, for example, are back defending you can go 2v1 against one of their wingbacks fairly easily because they'll push those Montreal will push those fullbacks or those wingbacks rather forward and that creates space as they recover it's easier to 2v1 that player on the outside of a 3 at the back shape i think than it is to to go 2v1 against a, a 4 man backline for some reason so that's another reason to key in on those two guys especially yeah. Buchanan and whoever his fullback is in this play in yes. game for the eastern conference
1: and Buchanan is just good on the ball, so he's fun to watch because um, he's just really been a player I feel like has continued to find form throughout this season. And if New England is going to do well, whether he starts or not, I feel like th- he's going to have the ability to impact a game.
0: I love it. OK, Jordan, on to the ninth seed in the Eastern Conference, the aforementioned Montreal Impact. They are playing, as I said, the New England Revolution My thing to watch, and and it wouldn't be me, it wouldn't be a preview show, it wouldn't be this podcast if I did not talk about a center back, I'm talking about Luis Binks. He is the guy in the center of Montreal's defense, whether that's a three at the back shape, a five at the back shape, or a four at the back shape, it doesn't matter. He can play as part of a center back pairing or in the middle of a back three. He's good on the ball. He can cover ground easily. He's one of the most underrated or at least under-discussed center backs in MLS. Now announced recently, speaking of under discussion, he was discussed recently being yeah. back with the team through the 2021 season, staying on loan from Serie A. He is a guy who can do just about everything that you want from a defender. He would have been in the Defender of the Year discussion if he had been on a team like the Philadelphia Union or a team like, oh man, imagine, Jordan, how much you would help Toronto FC. Changing Canadian mm. teams, right? A little more stability around him, providing some mobility in the center of defense actually helping Omar Gonzalez look a little bit less like Omar Gonzalez. I mean, he would be able to do things in the the middle of a top-tier MLS team that very few players in MLS can do anyway. So having him as the shining light in the middle of Montreal's defense on both sides of the ball, he's the guy I'm watching. He's the thing I'm watching for in this game. He's going to be key to stopping the Revs' attacks. He's going to be key to starting Montreal's own attacks. Luis Banks, remember his name, everybody.
1: And I just feel like... This is what, their third? This will be their third matchup of the season or fourth?
0: Uh, it's been a lot.
1: Yeah, it's been a lot. And I don't think Montreal has won once.
0: This could be the time, everybody.
1: I Maybe just, not, but maybe. I'm just saying. <laughs> I just kind of feel it. I don't know why. So if if I'm wrong, rewind it to here and say, Jordan, you're wrong. Um, okay, last team. We made it almost through the Eastern Conference. I have Inter-Miami. And I think what's surprising to me is this is a team with Blaise Matuidi and Gonzalo Higuaín and his brother Federico Higuaín who's also pretty creative these big name players and the the player that I'm looking at who oh, I should also mention Pizarro's in there as well yeah. uh, really big flashy players but for me I'm I'm looking at a player who who's also had a really good career and played at some big clubs, but I think Lewis Morgan has been the star player for Inter Miami and the one that I really want to look at a little bit closer. Um, five goals, eight assists on the season, Joe. So uh, for me, without him, I don't think that Miami can function the way that they're functioning. But the thing I want people to look for is I would really like to see Miami play in a way where they can really isolate morgan on on one side of the field, so correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe he plays on the he likes to play on the right side of of attack,
0: typically, yeah,
1: typically plays on the right side of attack, and I think this is why it would be best if they can tilt the the field almost to the left and use Pizarro in this connecting role with players on the left and, and bring a lot more numbers into the left side to isolate Morgan on the right side all by himself so he can get into 1v1 situations where he uses his confidence and his ability in these uh, duels where he can go at a player and try to help continue to create those assists. I think... Also tilting the field like that and bringing more players to the left side to try to connect because Pizarro is really good in, I think, tight spaces connecting under pressure. Then when you switch the field to the right side, all those numbers from the left are then closer to the box to get in for a potential crossing opportunity for Morgan.
0: I like this a lot. And I have two things before we move on to the Western Conference. Pizarro, I do not believe will be playing in this game. He's off with Mexico. So that's another reason to isolate Morgan as a primary attacking guy. That's thing number one. Thing number two is I love the overload to isolate concept tactically. Thinking Mm -hmm. about how that, that draws a defense to one side. I mean, you just said all this stuff. I'm not saying anything new here. You draw the defense to one side by creating a numerical overload with a lot of your players on that same side. The defense has to adjust and shift over. Otherwise, you'll just drive right through them. So you draw the defense to one side, and then you ping the ball over to the other side on the weak side, where you have an awaiting attacker, or maybe it's a fullback or a wingback, whatever it is. A guy who's either ready to go 1v1 or, or to create something on that far side. I think that's such a great, reliable, maybe even underused tactic from a lot of teams who have a promising attacker on one side and and the potential to overload on the other side. So yeah, I'm a big fan of that overload to isolate idea, especially with Lewis Morgan as the isolated
1: guy. Yeah, cool. Okay. Well, I'm glad we agree. We finished the Eastern Conference.
0: Deep breath, Jordan, I'm taking a deep
2: breath. (laughs) Okay, looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Are we ready to
0: move on to the Western Conference, Jordan Angeli?
1: I think so. I think I'm starting because I are. have SKC. You
0: do have SKC. Okay. Take it away.
1: I believe they're number one spot, which I think maybe it's because I'm in the East or we... SKC, I don't know why. I don't know if we've talked enough about them they this just, year.
0: They don't get the primetime games like Seattle and LAFC do. And I think That's it. that has contributed to the lack of discussion surrounding Peter Vermees' team. But we're about to fix that.
1: Yeah, okay. Well, I think for me, and at the beginning of the year, No, I know when we were doing MLS's back, I was pretty high on Gaddy of and I still am. And I think that he's one of their key players. This is the thing, Joe, he didn't play in the last game due to undisclosed injury from what I could find. But this is we have these two weeks off this international break. So two full weeks of maybe preparation and trying to get him back to health. But this is why I want to plug in Gaddy Kinda and why I want to say this is the player for SKC is because they have this ability to stretch back lines with Eric Hurtado and what we've seen of him because he's really been the player that's come in with Alan Polito's injuries, uh, to be a little bit more solid for them. And Johnny Russell can stretch as well. But what I think Gaddy Kinda does the best out of all the, I mean, he does so many things good. Not only is his uh, possession really well, he has a range of passing, uh, he can dribble out of, the midfield into space, dribble out of situations. But I think the thing he does the best is late timing runs into the box.
0: Oh, yeah. I like where this is going, especially thinking about how SKC like to use that number nine. Go on, Jordan. Mm -hmm. Go on.
1: Yes. So that's the thing. If Gaddy Kinda plays, I want you guys to watch how SKC build the ball up, how they get it to their wingers, how they create overloads on a particular side in order to create a you know, not a crossing situation like we see from LA Galaxy, but a situation where they can pass the ball into a more dangerous space on the field, into a late runner coming into the box and just watch Gatti of holding his run to let the play develop and let space open up so then he can come and attack it at the right time.
0: The idea of, of balance between stretching the back line and having someone drop into midfield. We talked about it already with NYCFC. We see similar things, and you're talking about similar things with Sporting Kansas City. Mm-hmm. Maybe that idea is is fresh to me because of the U.S. playing Wales this past week and Great Berhalter used a false nine, and it was a pretty congested midfield with no one making those runs behind the back line. But that balance, that vertical balance, is so important in soccer, and teams like NYCFC do it well. Teams like Sporting Kansas City do it well generally playing at the top half of their respective conferences. I think that's a good indication and that's a good representation of how important that idea is to teams who want to play with the ball. Mm-hmm. So I appreciate you highlighting it here and highlighting Kinda's role in that that idea with your preview of SKC. There we go. On to Thanks. the second you're welcome. On to the second team in the Western <laughs> Conference, that is the Seattle Sounders who will be playing LAFC to exactly no one's surprise. Seattle is going to be missing a few key guys. They'll be missing a center back. They'll be missing Gustav Svensson in the midfield. But still, despite those defensive absences, the thing I'm going to be watching and that I would recommend our listeners watch for Seattle is the effectiveness of their defensive block. That, especially when you're playing LAFC, is important, but is always important for the Seattle Sounders because that's that's the crux of how they play. That is the key part of what Brian Schmetzer does. It starts as you often say Jordan, it starts with the defensive solidity and then they build their attacking movements from there. Seattle mm-hmm. will sit in a 442 or a 4411 defensive block and they'll they'll close down those channels. They'll close down those vertical spaces and try to deny entry passes. They'll they'll shadow players around the field, Lodero versus Eduard Atuesta is something that I'm looking for specifically in this mm. game. We saw it in the 2019 MLS Western Conference Finals, where Seattle beat LAFC 3-1. Again, that was in 2019. Having Lodero man-mark, or at least defend and keep a close eye on LAFC's number six, which most likely will be Atuesta, is key in this game because it denies LAFC that that main attacking playmaker. At the base of midfield. But even zooming out, the the defensive aspect of how Seattle plays is so important to their own identity. And when you're playing LAFC, it's going to be very important to this matchup.
1: Mm-hmm. That you describing that matchup between Atuesta and Ladero just reminds me of like my little brother when I was younger, just like looking back at him just following me. And I'm like, <laughs> stop following me. You know, <laughs> it just reminds me of like a older brother, little brother, just like in your shadow kind of feeling. And I do think that that is going to be a really interesting matchup because I think Ladero has the ability defensively to just create enough, be enough of a nuance to disrupt Atuesta but then has a separation ability to get away from him quick enough to be able to create for Seattle.
0: Yeah. That matchup specifically is one that I'm totally keying in on because we saw it play a really important role last year in the playoffs and it's shaping up to do the exact same thing or to have the exact Mm -hmm. same impact in this first round game.
1: Yeah. Okay. I'm going to go down to Portland next. Uh, They are the three seed in the West. They are two, one and two in their last five games. And I think One of the things that I I just, (laughs) they were, I I was really confused about what to talk about with them. I think bright spot and thing that I want to watch for first and foremost is their holding mids have been great for them all season long. Diego Chara, Eric Williamson uh, is probably one of my favorite combinations of two players next to each other that I've seen in MLS this year. Yeah,
0: I'm totally with you on that.
1: Because they both have grit. I mean, it's Diego Chara. They both have grit and they'll get into tackles. They both have wherewithal to know how to get out of situations on the dribble or via passing. And I think that they really set a good structure for Portland um, attacking-wise to get out of pressure. The question for me is, can Diego Valeri pull all the weight going forward because of the number of players that they've lost. Is Jeremy Obobese going to be available? Because if not, I don't know how Portland scores goals.
0: Yeah, I mean, they're missing Sebastian Blanco. They're missing Nia both to ACL tears, which is just horrible. Obobese had a concussion. Mora's on international. Moore, yeah, Mora's gone as well. So that's, they're missing two of their three striker options who are just totally unavailable. Abobasi mm-hmm. had a concussion on decision day or or was out because of a concussion It looks like he'll play in this game, but again, we're not a thousand percent sure about that. That's obviously not something to take lightly. He missed five games. Yeah, this is a big deal. And Diego Valeri, regardless, even if Abobasi is playing, Valeri's presence in midfield and his ability to create things is always important, but even more so now without those other guys around him.
1: One of the things that Portland has been really good at is because through even losing some players, they are just so sound defensively that they've been able to um really until these last... I just said they're 2-1 and 2 in the last five games. So they're not scoring as many goals as they typically would, which points back to not having the players in the attack that they normally have. But can they continue to play that, you know really tight structure defensively spring out into a counterattack type of uh, system that we've seen them play when they don't have that spring out into a counterattack type of person to allow them to do that.
0: Yeah, it's a hard balance to strike and we'll see if they're able to do it.
1: Yeah, I don't know if anything else comes up for you, but I was just really these this was a head scratcher to me. But if you're going to watch anything, watch the holding midfielders and how they um, just beast mode in there.
0: That's a perfect place to end that particular preview. <laughs> on to Minnesota United, the fourth seed in the Western Conference. They will be playing in the Colorado Rapids. They're missing so many players, Jordan. They already mm. are, are bare bones due to injuries. They're missing Robin Lud. They're missing Jan Gregus. They're missing Roman Metaner. They're missing Kai Kamara. Those guys are all going to be on international duty and not back in time for their first round game. So then you look at the players that they do have available. My My thing to watch and my thing that I would recommend others watch is... Kevin Molino and Emmanuel Reynoso combining in the attack. Yes, defensively, they are structured. They are solid. They are tight in that block under Adrian Heath. But when they do get forward, it's Reynoso as the 10, Molino drifting inside from the left wing. Those two players carry the attacking load or have the ability to carry the attacking load from Minnesota United. And we saw it on decision day where those two guys combined for three goals, not necessarily sustainable, But that is an indication of where those two players are in terms of their skill level and how they can contribute to attacks. I think those two guys are going to be essential for Minnesota United. And selfishly, I just love watching them play and watching them combine. So that's why I'm paying attention to them in this one.
1: Oh, for sure. Kevin Molino has been, I think, the comeback player of the year. He's had such a good performance this year. But then Reynoso is a player that I think if he would have been here the whole season, he would have been... MVP candidate. Wow. I just think he has, there's some players that he reminds me of Pozuelo where they just have the pace and the beat of the, the game on their heart, right? Like they just feel it. And I think that he's such a good player and he's, you know, I think Minnesota really got a good one and they're going to continue to enjoy having him there. Um, OK, well, that's enough touting about him. <laughs> I'll
0: move on to the other side of this matchup. The Colorado Rapids facing off against the team I just previewed, Minnesota United. My thing to watch is another attacking playmaker. I had to keep the theme. It's Eunice Namely playing in a central position. Finally, he started the year in a central space. Then he moved wide, which I understand as a as a coach. If you're Robin Fraser, he's a guy. Namely is a guy who can do danger out on the right wing but now he's back in the middle of the field and Shinya or Galvan or Jonathan Lewis or Benazay have been playing more on the wings. Nomoli came off the bench and played in central midfield and scored a goal on decision day against Houston. He was key to some attacks against Portland the week, uh, the Wednesday before in that central space. Nomoli has it, Jordan. He has the diagonal switch in his game. He has the change of pace and midfield in his game. He has the ability to turn a defender. He can do just about anything you want on the offensive side of the game. He is 100% my player to watch, my thing to watch in this game against Minnesota United.
1: Mhm, I agree with that.
0: He's so good. And the Rapids being in this fifth seed in the good. West is insane given what they've gone through as a team this year. <laughs> if they win this first round game against Minnesota United, that is easily one of the stories from a narrative side of things of the Major yeah. League Soccer season. So I'm interested oh, yeah. in this matchup for a whole number of reasons.
1: Yeah, I agree. I would agree with you. Okay, I'm gonna move on to FC Dallas, and the thing I want to I want you guys to watch for FC Dallas is is the way that they play out of pressure defensively. And the thing and the pattern that I started to notice and see developed in watching FC Dallas is they really use Brian Reynolds uh, to combine out of pressure defensively to start their attack. And so usually it's a 2v1 or a 2v2 situation on that strong side, on the right side of their defensive structure for Dallas where they would bring in a holding midfielder over or even bring a winger back, um, checking back into the internal channel to help Brian Reynolds play that initial ball out, and then once he plays it, he's off. So it's a quick one-two to try to get him into space beyond that first defender to try to give Dallas a little outlet. And I know this is a super specific thing, and but it's something that I think that we've talked about Dallas's attack, and we've talked about all these things. And we've t- even talked about Brian Reynolds and how we can get forward. But I am I'm keying into that because if if Portland does have this quick counter pressure. I think they could be left exposed if they go to if they jump too quick and let Brian Reynolds get in behind them easily.
0: Brian Reynolds could be an Olympic athlete for track. No doubt about oh, wow. it. his speed down that right yeah. side for FC Dallas, getting out on the break, getting out in transition, working in combination with Michael Barrios on that right side right. is almost unfair. And it's a mm-hmm. it's another thing that makes me think that maybe playing in a more reserved lower defensive block is the way to go or at least can be the way to go at times as opposed to possession because just getting Barrios and Reynolds running downhill
1: at pace yeah.
0: into the attacking half
1: is scary if you're the defensive team. It's scary
0: team. and creating those moments for Dallas or at least taking advantage of those moments when they do come up is is a really great thing and something I think that is is really important to watch in this one. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. On there to go. we have two more teams left. We're in the home stretch. LAFC is the 7th seed in the Western Conference. It seems weird, but that's what's happening. They're playing the Seattle Sounders. They're missing a whole host of players as well, including a couple of their biggest attacking guys. My thing to watch for LAFC is more of a question. It's it's how will they create transition attacks so that they don't have to break through Seattle's defensive block? It's hard to break down a block. It's hard to break through, especially a well-structured one like Seattle have. How are LAFC going to, to get around that? Maybe maybe they'll create transition moments through counter-pressing, like we talked about earlier a little bit with the Red Bulls. Maybe they'll create those opportunities and pounce on the ball after they lose it and then go straight to goal. Or maybe they'll, they'll counter-attack and, and occasionally sit a little bit deeper and then move forward quickly. For LAFC, I think more important than their possession, more important for them than the Atuesta-Lodero battle in their offensive shape is how they create those attacking transition moments to find gaps in Seattle's defense to to exploit space and to go downhill mm-hmm. towards Stefan Fry in goal. Because, again, mm-hmm. all of that is so much easier than trying to go and, and pound and hammer your way into Seattle's 4-4-2 block.
1: Yeah, but it also is a key point. We've talked about all season long with LAFC. Do they have the defensive... Uh, Work rate and willingness to do the things they need to do defensively in order to create those moments. It's a big it's up. a
0: big question mark and something that yeah. I think is is definitely worth keying into. Mm-hmm. Jordan, our last team, you okay. have the San Jose Earthquakes. Bring it home for I do. us.
1: OK, well, it's really funny to think that a team that lost five to one, seven to one. Six to one, five to zero, would still end up making the playoffs in MLS. But here we are. We've got San Jose Earthquakes, and my big thing for the earthquakes, the thing that I want to watch for, is are they willing to deviate from their man-to-man defense in specific moments in order to allow them to defend a little bit more um,
0: soundly. Defend-
1: Soundly. Better. I was going to say better, works, and it sounded like great. not a good word, but better <laughs> actually is is probably fine. This is the thing. So we've talked about this specific movement, but it can happen all over the field. When someone gets beat or when that player that doesn't have a man mark at that moment starts to dribble into space. So say it's a center back for the opposing team, which is going to be Sporting Kansas City. They start to dribble into the space. That next man up has to shift and go put pressure I want to see this from San Jose, where it's almost a chain reaction where they've, they've they're dragged on a string from that one player stepping to the ball where every player behind them shifts and moves to the next man up to continue man marking, but leaving then the farthest player away from the ball unmarked. So it's a little bit of a zone. Because you have to block the space first. But if they don't get pressure to the ball, if they don't deviate from their system slightly in order to stop the bleeding in certain situations, they're going to get a lot of goals scored on them.
0: There's no doubt in my, my mind look that at. the earthquakes are at their best when they are shifting and when they are a little bit more flexible. Mm-hmm. And I know how hard that is to do, to be almost responsible for doing two things at once, right. man marking and having those zonal principles that you just talked about, addressing the space first and then the man I don't know how you combine those two things, but I know that in the the short moments when the earthquakes can do those things, there's so much of a better team. So yeah, that's a great yeah. thing to be looking for, because if they don't do that, Sporting Kansas City has the ability to rip right through them.
1: All right. Jordan, we, did we it.
0: finished the preview. 18 teams. We moved through at a fairly decent pace. Hopefully this gave yeah. our listeners something to watch for in these playoff games. We will be back before too much of the playoffs go any further. We will be back on Monday to review the Eastern Conference play-in games and a handful of the actual first-round games and maybe toss in a little bit of a preview for some of the games next Tuesday that will be happening in both the Eastern and Western Conference. Jordan, you rock. You killed it on the preview. Thank you.
1: You too, Joe. All right, you guys, we'll talk to you next week. Enjoy the first games.